Darren, so nice to talk to you again. Um, and I just wanted to, to say a quick thank you because I've just come home from work and found a, a lovely looking unlabeled sample um, come to me through the post which has had your name on it. So thank you very much for that. I'm not too certain what's in it. It looks quite a sherried whiskey that's there. Yeah. Please tell me a bit about it. So um, I, I, I hope it's restorative for you. I know you're not feeling the best at the moment. <laughs> um, the, the, what you've got is the Glenfogless bottle done with Master of Malt in support of Movember. Um, bottled at 53%. It's a combination of two casks. So um, Chris Holden from Edinburgh Whiskey Blog, he went up for the guys at Master of Malt, um, went around the warehouses with George. Um, at Glen Farkless, and between the two of them, from casks George already had in mind, he picked out um, the, the two casks that are there, and, and Chris tried, I think he said he tried three different bourbon casks and three different sherry casks in the end, right. um, and, and, and they decided that they'd go for one bourbon, one sherry, and they've married the two together. So it, the, there is sherry in there, you're right. It does look beautifully sherried. Yeah. Uh, but I think you get the, the balance that the bourbon casks brought in. Um, well, so I, must, I must confess, I've not tasted it yet, because I've literally only just found it. And yep. by looking at it, it looks like one of those whiskies that deserves my palate to be at its best, not in its very subdued <laughs> state that it's in at the moment. Oh, well, well don't use it for a hot toddy, I guess. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, but, sorry, I cut across your, your flow there. No, that, that's all right. I was just going to say, so the, the, the principle behind the bottle, um, I know in the last time we spoke and for the show, um, or for the podcast, you, um, I was saying that the, we'd done this whiskey for Movember and the, the money raised from the bottle goes to the Movember charity, um, the Movember charity being for prostate cancer and testicular cancer and men's health issues in general. So £10 from every bottle is gone to the, the, the Movember charity. Right. Yeah. £10 from every bottle. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's quite a good donation, that. It is. It? And, and it's only for, for a sing, essentially what's... Or it's not a single cask because it's two casks, but it's at cask strength. And there's probably, because there is only those two casks in there, about 600, 700 bottles available. Um, and it's if you go to the Master of Malt website, just masterofmalt.com slash Movember, it'll actually bring up the bottle. You'll see it, it's co-branded with Glen Farkless. Um, Glen Farkless bottled it and everything. So essentially it's a, a Glen Farkless bottle and done in partnership with Master of Malt. Um, well, that's marvellous. I'll make sure there's a link for that on the website as well, on my website, right. under, the, under this episode, um, just to, to make sure people can find their way to it. And it's it's thirty nine ninety five as well. Um, so thirty nine ninety five, and yeah. ten pound of that is going off to Movember. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Which is such a worthwhile cause as well. It is. It is. Darren, well, I know there's going to be quite a few events coming up, and I'm, I'm gathering that some of those are already sold out. If people want to keep on top of what is happening, where it's happening. What's the best way of doing that? I think um, the the two best things to do. There's a Twitter feed for for the group. So, Whiskey for Movember is a, a Movember group um, or team, and we we have our own little Twitter account at Whiskey, and then the number for Movember. Um, or you could go to www.whiskeyformovember.com. It hasn't been updated yet. 
as yet this year because it's only day one of Movember and I think some of the guys are going to put their tashes up there over the next two days, three days. Um, and I'm organizing some tastings down in, in, in London and I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from a few other whiskey people across the country and we'll, we'll put some event dates up on the site. Marvellous, marvellous. Dan, thank you ever so much for the sample. Thank you ever so much for talking to me and uh, good luck with it. Thank you and I, I hope you're feeling better soon. So do I. <laughs> It's nine o'clock in the morning on a late October weekend. I'm in Bakewell. You may be able to hear ducks by the riverside cracking away, expecting bread from me. They're not going to get it. The sun is shining on a, on a brand new day. This peaceful little village is beginning to wake up. Delivery men are dropping off their fruit and veg and, and other wares. Slowly people are starting to walk the streets. It's one of those serene scenes that is full of peace and tranquility. But soon, behind some closed doors at the town hall in Bakewell, some magical experiences are about to be had. For within this quiet Derbyshire town, it is Wee Dram Fest a local but absolutely wonderful whiskey festival. Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. Right, I want to start this week's episode with a bit of an apology. In fact, two apologies. One is, this episode's going to be about Wee Dram Fest in Bakewell. And it might sound like this is something that happened the weekend just gone. And actually it didn't. It happened the weekend before that. In many respects, I'm a week late in getting this episode out. And there's a reason for that. And that is, last week... I had that interview with Ronnie Routledge and I wanted to get the episode focusing mainly about Glenglazer Distillery out for people to listen to. So I've put back the Weed Ramfest episode in favour for that Glenglazer episode because I wanted to get that one out but also because Ronnie was talking to us about the new first cask release from Glenglazer that had just come out and I didn't want to be in a position where I was so late in telling people about that that it all gone before they had a chance to buy any. Now I did say that there's two apologies. The second apology comes from the trouble that listeners may have had downloading last week's episode about Glenglazer. Now I'd like to be able to say in a way it was to do with technical problems and to a degree it was to do with technical problems but really I have to put my hand up here and make a confession. The audio file I named after Glenglazet Distillery because that is what I thought the prime focus was. I was aware that I'd done an earlier episode about Glenglazet Distillery. I think it was episode number 18 but 
I'd forgotten that I'd actually also named that one after the episode. So when I then posted that, the iTunes tried to read the new episode as the old episode and it became very confusing. So it was titled as the new episode but was in fact playing an old episode from about a year ago. I didn't realise that until I tested the feed myself the following day and one of the first things I did was to actually delete that episode, rename the audio file and then repost it. But for some strange reason, whilst that was okay for most of the podcast hosters, iTunes decided to put up all the new text but still read the old audio file but just cutting it down to the time length of the new audio file. So you actually only then got three quarters of the old episode and none of the new episode. I then decided to repost another episode exactly the same but completely retitled so that iTunes could cope with that, which it did. But by that time it sorted out its problem and was playing the new episode on the second posting. Confused? You will be. Eventually I managed to delete the third episode, the third attempt, so I was left in the position where there should have been only one episode 65, Glenn Glazer, which would have been the current and correct episode. I do apologise for anybody who had problems with that. I had problems with that, and I do know at least from one person, Bill, thank you for letting me know, and I do apologise, who actually downloaded three episodes. Anyway, putting that to one side... I did go to Weed Ramfest. I did have an absolutely wonderful time. And as I said last week, it was full of these wonderful experiences because it's not just the whiskey. And believe you me, the whiskies were by far good enough in their own right, but it's meeting the people. And those wonderful people who make the whiskey, who market the whiskey, who really understand the whiskey, but also other people there, like myself, enjoying the whiskey. Those who've got a lifetime of experience that you can learn from. And those, like the three lads I mentioned last week, who were at their first whiskey festival and was just in awe of all the things that are around them. Lovely to see all that. Now, of course, I did get talking to people and I'm going to start playing some of those interviews in just a moment. But something else has happened and that is, and I've mentioned this before, Whiskey Magazine has been pushed through my letterbox and it's a fantastically brilliant thing this time because it comes with a supplement. So I've got two magazines in front of me. I've got Whiskey Magazine in front of me and there's some brilliant things in here. Dave Broom making a big focus on, on a few issues here. But we've also got an article written by Neil Wilson about Annandale Distillery, which is a distillery I've been taking an interest in myself and has been mentioned in previous episodes. But there's also a bit of an emphasis here on blends fair bit of stuff to do with blends and hold on a minute there's somebody who's written something in here and that is neil ridley the real action man 
Neil Ridley interviews Charlie Borman about his adventures and about whiskey drinking. And there's also um, a nice article here about somebody doing his apprenticeship as a cooper, and that's Neil Ridley as well. So Neil's there twice in this magazine. Do you know, wouldn't it be nice if I could make the boast that yeah, you somebody comes onto the uh, the Morted Muse and gets interviewed for their writing skills, and suddenly there they are twice in Whiskey magazine. But if we open up the Blends supplement, which is, I think, a good thing to see that it's not just to do with single morts, and I do welcome the fact that Blends are actually getting more acknowledgement now for their position. They've, they're popular, that's not a secret, but they're also good. But this magazine is taking it a stage further. It's not just about Scotch blends. There's things in here about Canada, about Japan, about Ireland, um, the whisk, blended whiskey scene in general, but there's also um, historical aspects there's things about tea there's even a, a guided walk by neil wilson and dave broom around the physical remains of glasgow's mighty blending history its buildings and its pubs but there's also an article on here about actually how to blend and that's written by oh neil ridley um and there's also an article about cigar blends where neil ridley takes a trip to cuba Neil, you seem to be doing even more travelling. And good luck to you. Even though I could be a bit funny here and say the last thing I read that you wrote before that was about a tin of baked beans you were having for your tea. But there you go. We won't focus on that. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get back to Weed Ram Fest. That's what really this episode's about. And I'm now going to stop talking um, and I will pass over mainly to those interviews. I'm not going to do an awful lot of linking in between um, because really I want to try to retain some of the atmosphere of the event. Adrian, good we, morning, Jim. <laughs> Weed Ram Fest 2011. Yes. Struggle yeah. to remember what year it was there for a second. Now, this is what, the third year? Third year, yes. Yep. First year was good. Yes, and I can remember reading on the on the back of the bump. Don't try to taste all the whiskies because there's over That's eighty whiskies right, yes. here. Yeah. Last year there was a few more than eighty. Yeah. yeah. And we've had to, you had to move to this room in the town hall. That's right. Yeah. What's different this year? This year we've also taken the room downstairs of the town hall, the courtroom. Right. No lesser place, um, which uh, is where they actually gave me a license once. So. Very, very nice. And um, I think we're up to just over 140 different whiskies. So not even half of them. You know? Right. Um, we're very lucky we've got some, some very nice people here this year. A lot more space and um, 300 guests coming. Uh, we're lucky we've got Willie Tate here today from um, Jura Distillery and uh, White Mackay. We're lucky again to have John Black from Tully Bardeen. And um, we've got um, Alan from, from um, Vendronic Distillery as well downstairs. It's a wonderful, wonderful group of whiskies. So we're looking forward to a really good day. Now the variety, the, the choice of whisky you've got here, yep. that also seems to be expanding. Uh, yes. Year one was only Scottish whisky. Yes, yes. Now we have 
we have last year we, we had um, um, Irish and uh, Indian. This year we have uh, American, quite a few Americans. We have some very interesting American um, corn whiskey. Um, perhaps you'd better just sniff that. Um, <laughs> uh, we have quite a few Americans. We've got wild turkey. We have um, Heaven Hill products. We've got uh, um, Japanese. We have both Yamazaki from Suntory and also um, Nikka. So we've got both of the big Japanese distillers here, which is great. And of course St George's and um, Kilhoman, the little one from the new one from Isla. We've got from Kilhoman, just better mention this because uh, they have the 100% uh, Isla whiskey. Not only is it 100% Isla whiskey, the barley is grown on the farm. Sure. It is made and matured on the farm. I think it has to go somewhere else to be to be bottled. Oh, and they do the peating, of course, at Kilhoman as well. 100% um, Kilhoman whiskey, all done there, which uh, um, looks very nice. So that really is bringing that little bit of the island actually yeah. all the way down the boat. Absolutely, side, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you've expanded. Mm -hmm. There's been an awful lot of whiskey festivals going on at the moment yes, this time yeah. of the year. Have you got many tickets left over? No, uh, we sold out about a month ago, so we're quite happy. So that is shown there's an increasing demand, yes, absolutely, isn't it? yeah. Yeah. I mean, there should be. This is the best product that the British Isles produces, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, Adrian, thank you ever so much. Thank you. I'm not going to take up any more of your time, and I'm not going to keep away from the whiskies for any longer, either. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, Thank Jim. you, Adrian. <laughs> Peter, so nice to see nice you to again. See you as well. yeah. now, I've had a quick word with Adrian already, who's obviously organised the event, but I've, I've not spoken to anybody else yet because, of course, you were the very first person that I interviewed last time. Yeah, the I last remember, time, yeah. and you're the very first person I ever interviewed for the for the podcast. So I thought I've got to come to you first. Right. Okay. Tell me what you've given me and what's great about well, it. Well, what what we have here is a, a, a cask from our Benihio bottling. What Benihio means uh, is a Gallic phrase which means hill of the mist. Um, so the, the, the philosophy with Benihio is, is that when, when the mist comes down, we bottle the whiskey uh, and it, we sell it. And once it's finished, the mist comes up and then the mist comes down with the next, the next bottling, if you like. Um, so the previous distilleries we've had, we've had um, Macduff, we've had Glen Spey, uh, we've had Mortlach, we've had Aberlour, we've had all sorts. This one here is especially good. This is a, a cask of Highland Park. Uh, it's from the distilled on the 20th of June 1995 and bottled just around a month ago. So it's 16 years old, cash strength, and one of only 191 bottles, which is quite low for a hogshead of, of, of that age. And the reason for that is, is because it was at the distillery, it was deliberately filled low. So more air has got into the cask. So you get, if you've ever tasted a, a cask that's been a leaker cask before, um, it, it actually matures the whiskey, makes it go quite creamy and, and sort of exaggerates the maturation a lot more. But it's still classic Highland Park. It still has, it's still laced with a hint of smoke, but beautifully integrated. You wouldn't believe this is a cash drink whiskey. So do you think that just simply speeds up the maturation? It does, yeah. Or more air gets in. But it does actually it actually change the quality of the maturation as well? I, I would say so, yeah. I would say so. I mean, this, this, this tastes far and above. Bed. It tastes like it's been matured for a lot longer than 16 sure. years. I find it actually almost has... When I first tasted it, I actually thought it was a bourbon barrel of Highland Park, because we have some of those at the warehouse as well. But it actually that's, no, it's a hogshead, but it's been filled low on purpose. 
we had a gentleman called Stuart Nickerson, who's a distillery manager at Glasgow. He used to work for Highland Park, and he, he, we gave him a taste of this, and he he, he said it was absolutely fantastic. So that's yeah. praise yeah. For, 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 for it. So and it's been very successful. We've had good orders from Lockfine whiskies, um, from Alan Robertson in Lockray, um, uh, Mike Drury up at Whiskey Castle, and Tom O'Toole from Adrian at the Wee Dram. So we're doing it here today. Um, and from a few, a few other places as well. And I had to get my bo- myself a bottle. Oh, so I got bottle 46 for myself. Yeah. 46? 46, yeah. Now, why 46? 46 is uh, Valentino Rossi's yeah. uh, number, so I always <laughs> take 46 for myself. Now, you tried that before, didn't you? But on one occasion, I think you had to sell it. That's right, yes. That's yeah. right. Um, we did a bottling to commemorate the 21st anniversary of the Blair Castle Horse Trials, which we sponsored under our Brewdar liqueur. And uh, there was a gentleman who came on the stand and asked, uh, uh, he, wanted, he tried the whiskey and thought it was very nice. It was a 1989 Brazer Glenlivet, or, uh, or Braval as it's now known, but at that time it was Brazer Glenlivet. And uh, he says, right, I'm going to have one. I said, what number would you like? And he said, oh, um, well, I want to drink it for my dad. His birthday is 1946. Do you have 46? I said, yeah, 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 no problem. <laughs> So, so I, I got my 46 in the end. I got it this one. I think this is a better whiskey, um, better whiskey, and, uh, and 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 a little less money as well, a little cheaper. Um, but nearly run out. We've only got three or four cases left. Okay. So, no, but you're so. not going to buy this on the supermarket. Oh God! Oh no! no where no, no. where can people get hold of it? Well, uh, the, the, a lot of the, the, the people I just mentioned that you know you've got Lock Fine whiskies, the Wee Dram, uh, Chester whiskey and liqueur, uh, Whiskey Castle, Tom and Tool. Um, I'm trying to remember them all. <laughs> Tyne Drum, the Green Willie Stop at Tyne Drum, uh, Aitken Wines in Dundee, and on our mail order website as well. Uh, and your website is? Uh, Scottish-liqueur-centre.co.uk. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Not a Peter. Not a Thank you. Brilliant. I'm going to go and savour this. Have a taste. What do you reckon to Well, the nose. Lovely, beautiful. Isn't yeah, it? I'm yeah. picking up a little hint of peatiness to the nose. You do get a little bit, yeah. It's like sweetness and peatiness at the same time. It's, it's quite amazing, amazing cast actually. With a tiniest splash of water. That has got wonderful mouthful. That yeah. really grabs you, doesn't it? It's, it's integrated. It's a comfortable, yeah. a comfortable yeah. dram, isn't it? But this is, you know, sometimes you get a whisking that's got a, a peak to it. And then the peak fades away and it just disappears. But this is constant all the way through. Beautiful long finish as well. Lovely warm. Well, it's like 51 quid. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's sold very well. It's sold very, very well. Yeah. I believe you're a Highland Park fan, yeah, so I'll leave you to it. No I'll do my best. Now, for the sake of our listeners, tell me who you are and what you've got in front of us. Right, I'm uh, I'm Ashok Chokalingam, uh, working for Amrit Distilleries, and uh, we have uh, Amrit Indian Single Malt Whiskey here at the Vidran Whiskey Fest in Bengal. Okay. Now, a lot of people won't actually know too much about AMRA, or if they have experienced it, they'll think, right, AMRA, I know that, that's that one particular whiskey. 
but actually you've got four bottles in front of me and I'm going to guess that they've all got their own different styles. Yes, um, all the product that uh, distilled and matured at uh, Amrit Distillery is basically uh, based on different style and uh, we are trying to cater to as many palates as possible because um, whiskey is a very subjective thing. One person might like a drum of uh, one particular whiskey, the other person might not like it because uh, the palate of different people is different. So we have, uh, for example, here four whiskies. One is uh, unpeated single malt, bottled at 46%. Uh, it's very fruity, creamy, gentle. Often I call it as like a whiskey for the break, but it's so light and easy drinkable. And then we have also the Amrit cast strength is really for the people who really knows about malt whiskey and then wanted to progress to the next level. It's right. full of flavors and a lot of robust characters to that whiskey. And then we have also have that uh, intermediate sherry mature, where the sherry maturation has happened in between the bourbon maturation. So it's like a sherry sandwich. Uh, matured in a bourbon cask first, then into sherry cask, then back into bourbon cask again. Right. And it's completely a kind of different type of uh, sherry whiskey on the market. But so far you've not mentioned anything about age. Right. Uh, all the Amrit whiskies are by taste, it's not by age. And uh, age in Indian condition is completely irrelevant. Right. Uh, for example, one year of maturation uh, in India would be approximately equivalent to three to four years in Scotland in terms of how the whiskey matures um, on the cask. So average age of all our whiskey is somewhere between uh, four to six years. Right. But, uh, we have, so all the job is done in four to six years yeah. at the expense of losing more than half the bottle before we bottle it. Yes. And I would guess, actually, if you left it there for too long, it's going to become very woody, very concentrated. And yeah, If it is too long, uh, as you said, the first problem is going to be too much wood and tanning in the whiskey, yeah. a lot of dryness. And then if you leave it a little longer, it will go with the scrape and scrape the surface of the barrel sure. to set for your whiskey. Yeah. And also, I'm... I'm thinking on the top of my head here at the moment but I know that in Scotland the longer a whiskey stays in the cask the less alcohol there is in there it diminishes in America it tends to be the other way around it loses more water over time it does what, what happens in, in India There's in India with regards to the whiskey maturation we are more towards the Kentucky uh, than Scotland right we are almost experiencing the same kind of phenomena what happens in Kentucky uh, in India, the alcohol strength goes up every year inside the cask, as right. opposed to be going down. They are also losing more water and alcohol molecules together, sure. pushing the strength of the whiskey up every year. And that high alcohol content in the cask, I would presume, is going to rip into that cask even more. Yeah. Another reason to actually get it out of the cask earlier rather than that, later. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Now, the fourth one we've not mentioned yet, that's the one I've got in my glass. Tell me a bit about this one. Yeah, this is a Amrit Fusion, uh, a multi-award winning gram that you got on your glass. It's made from uh, both Indian and Scottish barley grain. Both are mashed, distilled and matured separately. And then for the last six months, they are married together to reflect the complexity. We bottled at 40%. You can see a kind of a very little hint of whip of smoke on the, on the whiskey. It's not too much. It's just a kind of to complement the flavor profile rather than dominate. Right. Now you say it's won lots of awards. Give yeah. Me, give me a, a, an example yeah. of it, that. It, it, it's uh, awarded as the best daily dram by Malt Maniacs in 2009 and then um, third finest whiskey in the world by Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible in 2010. World Whiskey of the Year Award by Malt uh, Advocate Magazine in America in 2011. 
and then uh, Masters Award by International Sprint Magazine in London in 2011. Much more to come. Fantastic. Thank you ever so much for your time. I'm going to take this whiskey away to a quiet corner. I'm going to taste it thoroughly and enjoy it. That's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Right, we Dram Fest. I haven't got your name. Sorry, I'm Ronald Watson. Brilliant, lovely name. Thank you. Springbank Distillery, one, I have to be honest, one of my favourite distilleries. Full of tradition, does it all itself, wonderful place. And you surprised me here with a burgundy wood finished long row. Tell me a bit about that. Uh, Well, it's a brand new bottling. It was only bottled yesterday. Part of our wood expressions range. Every year we bottle um, either a Springbank, a Long Row, or a Hazelburn from an alternative cask type. So it's either a full maturation or at least a, a significant part of its life has been spent in this alternative cask. Okay. So last year we had Hazelburn from Sautern wine casks, we've done Springbank from rum or port, uh, we've done Long Row from Hungarian Tokai wine. So this is the, the new release in that series, um, 14 years old. Now we're talking about, sorry to interrupt, but we're talking about the, the finish at the moment. Yes. What about the distillation? The dis- many, is it double, triple? Yeah, double distilled and uh, heavily peated. The right. barley in the long rows peated to between 40 and 45 parts per million. So it's getting on up there towards the, the Isla style of peating. Sure. And this particular one, it's been matured in uh, refill bourbon casks for 11 years and transferred into the burgundy wine casks for three years. So it's a kind of probably more than a finish. It's an extensive maturation, long enough to let the flavours from the wine cask marry together with the flavours, the natural style of the whisky, and the results are kind of fruity, spicy, tobacco-y, smoky. Now, is, I'm, I've not tasted this yet, but let's preempt it a little bit. One of the problems you can get with burgundy is tannin, too much tannin. Yep. Has this got a very dry finish to uh, it? Or? I wouldn't say very dry. There's definitely an element of the, the kind of dry tannic finish there. But because Long Row itself is quite a powerful natural whisky, it kind of stands up to the cask and doesn't let the cask dominate too much. Okay. Three years has probably been just long enough in that any longer and you maybe did run the risk. So that's long enough to make it to, to get the influence from it, to make yeah. it to take out the fruitiness, not so long that it makes it that harsh, dry yeah. teapot finish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Fantastic. May I try some? Of course. That's what we're all here for. Yeah. What a lovely day. Yeah. And straight away I can see from the colour. This has got some influence yeah, into it. Really rich mahogany kind of colour almost. And a very distinctive nose as well. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you ever so much. You're very welcome. Cheers. So it's 
um, probably the biggest range actually at the event today. But um, what's been interesting is when people try the 40 year old um, and they've been absolutely gone away from it. They're 40 years old, that's a long time in the cast. Does it not suffer from woodiness, oakiness, or anything in any way? Not at all. I mean, today has been very, very well received today. Um, it's still, it smells like old whiskey, it tastes like old whiskey should. But I would say the job that um, the guys handling Barclays, George Grant in particular, is the balance of the whiskey. He's got it bang on. Complex, with lots of fruit, a classic one Barclays taste. Almost dry in the palate, which is quite surprising. Um, but it's won, you know, so many awards in the last year already. You know, this is it. Um, in the states, we've actually won Malt Advocate, Best Whiskey in, in America. We've won Best Space Side for Whiskey Magazine this year as well, and that's within a very short period of time. We only launched it last May. You say the great Glenfarthas taste. How would you describe what is that characteristic Glenfarthas? I mean, the classic flavours, because you know, we mature in sherry casks 100% of the time, it's not finished at all. Um, and you get that straight, so 100% of the time, it's sherry casks. Yeah. How many other whiskies would say that? Well, not many. Not many, let's just say that. Yeah. yeah. And we're paying a huge amount of money for the cast at the moment, this is the thing. So, why should we mess around with it? You know, the great belief is we've got really good woods, we've got really good casks. Um, everything's done traditionally in Glenfarthas. We don't have huge warehouses that are 100 feet high. So, my own belief is the tradition works so well for us. You know, it's all Dunny style warehousing. The casks are no more than three high. It's earth floors. Um, it's slate roofs and the walls are about two feet thick. So, the variance in temperature summer to winter, it's very, very little. So we can have very severe winters in Glenfarthas, where it can be minus 24, minus 25 through the winter, and the, the whiskey just matures at a very, very steady rate. And that gives you a sort of a sense of um, consistency, I suppose. That's exactly it. I mean, uh, whether it's 10-year-old or some of the family cast whiskies that we do, they're all maturing at the right level. Nothing, very little is done to them. So people can buy Glenfarthas hand in heart knowing that it's as good as the last one. And again, because we're in the 175 years this year, we're celebrating a very special anniversary. So, founded in 1836, and we're still family owned. We're on to the sixth generation now, um, which is George Grant. And George has got two daughters now. So, I think it's looking very rosy for the future. But, uh, this year, we've launched two limited editions. We like to think we're very good value for money. Um, we did a bottling, a 175th anniversary bottling that sold out in a week. And we like to give something back to the trade and back to the people who are buying Glenfarthas. So they've, that was retailing at anything between 75 and 80 pounds. So no fancy box, no fancy packaging, just very, very good whiskey that's in the bottle. We followed it up with a thing called the Chairman's Reserve. Small numbers again, we have 100 bottles to sell in the UK. Retailing for 300 pounds. Exceptional value. Yeah, wonderful. Now, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but you're talking about cutting down on packaging, things like that, focusing on the whiskey. Yeah. One of the things I'm aware that, I won't mention names, but a certain other distillery has done, is to try to bring art into the packaging of the whiskey. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but do 
since uh, when we launched 40 year old last year on Parkos last May, um, we decided that we needed an older whiskey for the core range. Um, we only up to 30 year old. We have some of the best whiskey and some of the oldest whiskey in the industry. And we launched a 40 year old in a standard bottle, a standard tube, so that people could afford this and actually open it and drink an old whiskey. And it's really retailing from 300 to 350 pounds. I think there's a few raised eyebrows. Certainly other companies, 40 year old and it's 4,000 pounds. That's a pile up to them. But what we're offering is some absolutely splendid whiskey for that kind of price point. And for us, it's all about delivery. It's not about any fancy market. But at the same time, we have the family cast range. So, you know, again, we've cut down on the packaging and that, a bit more environmentally friendly, and uh, that's doing tremendous business for us. That is wonderful. Thank you ever so much. Thank you very much. Now, listen, you've got us a whole selection here. did say that I wasn't going to do many links I just wanted to pick up the atmosphere of the of the festival itself but there are times when I think a special acknowledgement or announcement needs to be made there were some fantastic people there there's some absolute wonderful people there and I feel so privileged to be able to to talk to these people some of them I'm talking to for the first time there might be people that I've met before, I've listened talk before, but this was the first chance I get to interview them. And one of those people was a man by the name of Willie Tate. And I'm going to be playing my chat with Willie Tate in next week's episode. Another one of them was Matthew Smedley from the Whiskey Review website. That's 
thewhiskeyreview.com. And at the moment, I think he's revising his, his website. But it's an online whiskey review community enabling easier rating and reviewing of whiskey. Now, I didn't interview Matthew. I actually met up with him at the end of the festival and did have a, a nice chat with him, but didn't actually record that. But I do hope to interview him on a certain matter for a future episode, not too far away in the future. But there were also people there who I admire, I respect, and I have interviewed before, but somehow never get tired of talking to them, of listening to them. Now, when there's somebody that you've interviewed before, you've heard them talk before, and yet you never get tired of hearing them tell you about their experiences and their life, the chances are that person is somebody who's very special. And this is somebody who I think is very special. This is Tully Barden's John Black. John, it's been a year since I spoke to you. That's correct, yes. And it's so nice to see you again. You're a man who's had so much history with with whiskey. I believe almost since the day you were born. Yes, born into whiskey. I'm born at Cardew Distillery, which, you know, my father worked here. So I tell people, you know, I've been involved in distilleries, playing around them as a child, and then going to work when I was 15. And I've spent now the last... I don't tell people now how long I've been. I tell how people how long I've left. I've only got 46 years left, 100 years in the whiskey industry. Fantastic. So that's my target. Yeah. 46 years to go. That is wonderful. So all those things that have happened, all those changes that you've seen, what do you think have been the really significant changes that have happened? The, when I started, it was still steam-driven. You know, steam was the energy that was required to drive all the machinery. Coal-fired boiler, which then produced the steam, which drove the steam engine. And it was, was shafts and belts going through all the distillery, which drove all the machinery. Electricity only really came in late 50s, 60s, which seems quite, you know. Yeah. And then each distillery then, a way back up in the 50s, up to 60s, was quite independent. It had its own maltings, it produced all the, the, the whiskey, and then it warehoused it, it did its own transport, it did its own office staff, but paying the wages, but paid in cash every week, and there was a little pay packet. Now, the, the, the workforce at the distillery is shrunk to, you know, just a handful of people, but it's still supported by loads and loads of people. You know, the engineering, the IT department, the transport department, the, the salaries are all now paid through banks and whatever. So, it's still the same support, but it's out with the distilleries now very much just a production unit. We're buying the malted barley now instead of making it on site. And warehousing in most distilleries now go away into big central warehousing. So that's it. There's still a lot of people working in the whiskey industry, but it's changed how we work. And then it's went from very manual to very automated. You know, when, when I started, you'd turn the malted barley by hand, you'd fire the stills by hand, coal fire, you'd draft it to be thrown out the mash down with the shuffle, you know. So when it went into the wash box, the scrub it, 
you know, everything was hand done. Now, if I was a cynical person, I could ask you questions about, well, that's a shame, isn't it? You're losing this, you're losing that, the whiskey can't taste as good. What, one of the things I think is a shame about that is, nowadays, are there still the same great stories about things that actually happen in the distillery as there used to be? No, no, no. You've, you've lost a lot of characters from the whiskey industry. You know, because of health and safety and, and drinking, driving and everything, the men don't get a drama at the distillery. So that is where all the characters used to come from, you know, really some, you know, stories I could tell you, you wouldn't believe, you know, I mean, I'll tell you one story in particular, and this is true, when I worked at the particular distillery, there was a crew bus came to pick us up, you know, I, I lived about three miles from the distillery at that time, at Cardew, and the, the van went down and he started picking all the men up for the shift at uh, two o'clock, so the van drove down to pick up the first job. And he turned round, didn't pick him up, came all the way, went all the way back to the scully, and never picked up MD. Now that was the driver, so you can assume the condition he was in. <laughs> so we defined our own way to the distillery that day. Yeah. Now you could never do that today, you know? No, absolutely. And there's not. some oh, horrendous stories, you know, really wonderful. great stories. So, <laughs> sorry. 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 Also, I mean, the people were, you know, they were desperate to get a drum in the morning, you know, they were so, you know, one chap I worked with, he, he, he would just be beads of sweat, and especially on the Sunday morning, desperate to get his drum, you know, and he, he'd be, he would go home on a Saturday at 2 o'clock from his ship, and he stood at the bar in, the, in his local pub with the, with the peace bag still slung over his shoulder until, I think it was half past nine was closing time then. And away home we would go, and it just stood there the whole day, <laughs> you know, and there's oh, there some real, real characters. Do you think that the art of whiskey making is being lost then, Not We're still making exactly the same way, but there's the, the human involvement has been taken away by the automation. Right. That's, you know, uh, can be repeated very repetitive now because everything's computerized to do this and do that though the man is there to control it but it's been really set for him yeah. you know, so. so it's more to do with the culture behind the whiskey than, yes, than, the, than the, the way it's made you know yeah. the mashing and the, the fermentation and distillation is exactly the same happening within the vessel but it's just the difference between the man opening the valve and pressing the button which can now be done on a program so that's a big thing. But you're losing the character from the whiskey industry. You know? These things have got to be recorded, John, haven't they, before they're lost? Well, if you look at it today, you think about it's about 50 years. Everything was ledgers. It was all written down in ledgers, beautifully written. And it's there forever, you know, unless something drastic happens. How can you record today? You know, there's nothing written down. You're logging it on the air or putting it on to your... Yes. Yeah probably 50 years with nothing to tell us we existed. those lovely stories that haven't been recorded, they've that's got right. to be put there. That's right, go oh, outside. Lovely. John, what have you got here today? What would you recommend that I drink? Well, we've got right from a, a aged oak, a chill filter, the 88, which is a combination of bourbon and sherry mixed together, uh, sherry finish and a single cask. Okay, well let me ask you a question in a rather strange way. Earlier on today, I've got a thorn in my foot. 
been walking around on it, he's given me chip, I can't get the thorn out. Which whiskey is going to take my mind off of that thorn the best? This one here. Now that is the single cast Single edition. cast, yes. And it's 53.8, the strength of it. That's exactly the strength that came out of the, the cast. And what a lovely colour that is. Nice I mean, colour. I know you can't read too much into colour. No, no. But that's a beautiful thing to look at. Just have a wee taste in the palate. And a beautiful nose. John, thank you very much. Catch up with Catch you. Well, thank you again for listening to this episode of the More to Muse podcast. If you haven't heard them already, there is a back catalogue of other episodes available on iTunes. And if anybody wants to contact me, they can do so. My email address is jim at com. There's the website www.themaltedmuse.com and there's also Twitter at twitter at themaltedmuse. So thank you again for listening. I hope you'll listen next week. And until then, thank you and goodbye.